0: Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any info on our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Good morning. Happy Father's Day. I said uh, Happy Father's Day to our Heavenly Father this morning. He adopted me into his family uh, 52 years ago. And he's been an exceptionally good father to me, as I know he has been to many of you. And so what we'll be discussing this morning has a lot to uh, do with being children of His in how we are to live as, as uh, children of God. And so uh, I'm going to uh, talk about, uh, I'm going to give you sort of an, an outlay, a panoramic view of, of Christian discipleship uh, today. It's a little bit of a takeoff on last weekend, if you, um, uh, if you weren't here last weekend. And, uh, and so we're going to give you a little bit of the lay of land. Now, does everybody have one of these sheets? Just wave them at me. All right. We're going to start on the side that says how to experience more of the abundant life and fruitfulness. And then the remainder of the message will be we're going to go through the entire armor part. Obviously, all we can do is skim. I'm going to assume lots of things. Uh, I can't develop it all because we're, we're looking at a panoramic view uh, today. And I believe it's important because I, I think that as believers, we need to understand all these different pieces. There's so many different pieces and we hear messages and, and teachings all over the place, on the internet, here at church, wherever we read. And we don't know exactly how this all fits. And I want you to see how it fits so that you can cut through Uh, through some of the confusion and get right down to where we have to do something with our Christian uh, discipleship. And I'd like you to, at the end of this message, take this with you for the summer and choose something that you're going to grow in uh, intentionally as one of God's privileged children. Amen? So that's what we're going to do this morning. And uh, Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 8, he said, this is to my Father's glory that you what? It's not on the screen, uh, but uh, we'll be looking at this in just a minute. But uh, this is to my Father's glory that you what? Bear much fruit. God wants us to be fruitful. And any time during this message, when I go like this, the correct answer is always fruitful. You got it? So let's just try it. Yeah, you got it. Here we go. This is going to be a good message then. And uh, we are to be fruitful for three key reasons. The first one is that it advances God's kingdom. The second one, we already mentioned in verse 8, it glorifies God. And the third reason that you want to be fruitful as a child of God is because that's what you'll be rewarded for eternally. All right? So fruitfulness is a really big topic and uh, very important. So how can we experience more of the abundant life and fruitfulness? Well, the first one is by, and you see it on the screen already, we're not talking about it in these three messages that I've been talking about, Those, that's for a whole different series, by abiding in Christ. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man abides in me and, and I in him, he will what? Bear much fruit. Uh, No, if I go like this, then it's not fruitful. Only if I go like this, it's fruitful. (laughs) Sorry, I confused you. (laughs) Apart from me, you can do what? If anyone does not uh, remain in me or abide in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and what? Withers. So you got both pieces there. You have the abundant life there, the withering, because abundant life has to do with love and joy and peace and, uh, and hope and all those kinds of things that give us life, the life of Christ in the sap that comes up from his, from him. And then you see the fruitfulness part in that particular passage. Now, how do we abide? Again, we're not going to be talking about it, but how do you abide? And here it comes by meditating on God's Word. We're, we're chewing on it, memorizing it. There's some other passages that you can go there, and it helps us to, uh, to have the abundant life and become fruitful by prayer and listening prayer. When we spend time with God in prayer and listening prayer, that's, it, that's another way. There's a second part. That's a whole big section over there. And maybe that's an area you need to, to be growing in. But there's another whole section, and that is by growing in, the freedom, in freedom from sin, and I would say slash uh, character as well. That's holiness, sanctification, just different terminology for the same thing. And in verse 2 of John 15, Jesus said, He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he what he prunes and the the greek word there catharsis is the same as the word he uses in John 13 when he when, he, when it's translated in the english as cleans it's the same thing and i like that word cleans because it, it because the scriptures talk a lot in the new testament and old testament about the the washing uh, 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 by, the, by the, uh, the, the washing of the water of the Word, it's the cleansing that takes place. He cleanses us so that we will be even more... So that we'll be more fruitful. So there's a second way there. Now, how do we grow in more holiness or sanctification, godliness and all of that kind of stuff so that we're more fruitful? Well, the first, there's two sides of the coin. The first one is we put off... That could be like purifying yourself or crucifying the flesh. We talked about that last week, and that includes things like confession and repentance, inner healing, deliverance, uh, breaking destructive family patterns and such, things that we, we do at the Set Free Retreat would be included in this putting off. Of course, we can do that at any time and should be doing it at other times as well. Then there's the flip side of it, which is not just putting off, but what? Putting on. Uh, growing our character, intentionally growing our character. We talked a lot in this section last week, and uh, we drilled down a wee bit in, two weeks before that at the church renewal weekend, or the fruit of the Spirit. Pray, uh, pray for, and here's three steps for doing that. There, there are other steps you can use, but I'm just giving you three very simple ones, pray for a new character trait, renew your mind, memorize corresponding scripture, that kind of stuff, and walking in step with the Spirit. We'll we'll just review that just slightly later again, that last one there, walking in step with the Spirit. And then there is a third section in this matter of Christian discipleship that ensures that we grow in the abundant life and that we That we become more. I know I used my left hand this this time, but so we become yeah. So we become more fruitful, and that's by what? It's right up there on the screen. You can read it right off there. (laughs) It's by what? Yeah, standing our ground against the devil because the devil is going to come and he tries to steal it from us. He tries to steal the abundant life. And, uh, and, and our freedom in Christ, and he tries to stop us from growing in our character. Why? So that we won't be... Because when we're fruitful, it advances the kingdom, it glorifies God, and it is what we are ultimately rewarded for. So he's going to try to steal it, and that's what we're going to talk about this way, So how, uh, or this morning. So how do we stand our gr- ground against the devil? And... Uh, well, yeah, let's read that one first. John chapter 10, verse 10. And we, looked, we just mentioned it last week, but it says, the thief comes only to what? Steal. And, and, see, so he's trying to take it away. But I have come, Jesus said, that they may have and have it abundantly. So, uh, so there it is. And he wants to take away the freedom that we have in Christ, the character and the abundant life, so that we're not fruitful. So how do we stand our ground and resist him? Well, Ephesians 6 tells us, Paul tells us, using different metaphors, and that's always the issue in Scripture. Don't get confused with it. Different writers are using, and sometimes the same writers, are using different metaphors, different uh, pictures to communicate, and different terminology to communicate some of the same truths. But here, uh, uh, Paul says, and I'll go back to verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full, what? That's how we stand to get our ground against the devil. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. Uh, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the, uh, against the, uh, against the, uh, and against in the heavenly realms, exactly. Uh, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to what? Stand. stand. And then he goes into uh, the six pieces of armor that we can have. And uh, by six, I'm including the sword of the Spirit, and we'll talk about that in a, in a minute. Well, the first one is the belt of truth. And again, I'm just going to have to skim for the sake of this message because of time. In Ephesians 4, 6.14, says, Stand firm then with a the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And I don't have time to develop it, but Peter tells us, 1 Peter 1.13 tells us the waste he's talking there about, because he uses the same exact phrase in the Greek, and then he adds one additional phrase, which is, of the mind, the waste of the mind. So we're supposed to uh, uh, put on, or buckle up, the belt of truth because Satan attacks our mind, and you might want to write that down. And uh, he, he, he attacks us intellectually in the mind through deception and lies. And there's a, an example. I'm going to use uh, six examples from scripture, st- little stories. The first one is the church at Galatia, uh, well, three churches that I'm going to mention Galatia and Thessalonica and the Brians. All right? And uh, Paul said, uh, uh, talks to the church in Galatia. It was infiltrated by false teachers who preached a false gospel requiring Gentile converts to be circumcised, so he vigorously, uh, vigorously called them to return to the truth. Satan was deceiving them and attacking their minds. And so he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you By the grace of christ and are turning to a different gospel in other words think about this satan doesn't just attack non-believers he attacks believers he attacks churches and churches can go awry or people within churches can go awry which is really no gospel at all evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of christ now we'll see that there's two things that are needed for believers not to be deceived. And we'll illustrate it with uh, two churches, one at Bria, or the the people in Bria, and then also at Thessalonica. Paul went to Thessalonica, and on three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. And some Jews were persuaded, as uh, as were uh, quite a few God-fearing Greeks and others, but other Jews were jealous, it says in those passages, and they rounded up a rabble to attack them and uh, to oppose Paul and Silas so that they had to flee under cover of night to Thessalonica uh, or to Berea. So from Thessalonica, they fled because the jealousy of some rose up. And I, I, I want you to pay attention to that word jealousy because of what we're going to read about the Bereans... The Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great, what? Eagerness. So you got one set, the Bereans, they're jealous, or the Thessalonians, and then you got the Bereans who have noble character who are eager, and it says that they examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Notice that they had, and here's the first thing, They had true hearts. They had, the Brians had true hearts. Uh, Many who claim to be truth seekers do not have a true heart. That's the problem. They have other motivations for what they believe, even as believers. There may be other reasons why they hold to certain truths. We can't assume, and we should never assume for ourselves, that that we have true hearts. We have to humble ourselves before God and be teachable. Is that true? And a true heart. And coupled with a true heart, the Brians examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. You know one of the things that I really love about this church How many of you take notes? Tons of you take notes. And others of you do it on computer. And and some of you do it on the little phones. If you see somebody doing this on the phone, that doesn't mean they're playing around. They're, often they're taking notes like that. I don't know how you can do it, but, uh, and they're doing it. That's because you're examining, you're, you're trying to learn. You have true hearts and you're examining to see if it's actually true. That's really important. First Timothy four 1 Timothy 4.1 says, but the Spirit explicitly says, and Paul warned about this, that in later times, some will fall away from the faith. You can't fall away from the faith if you weren't in the faith. Do you understand? Will fall away from the faith, paying attention to what? Deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. So he mixes things up. I'll just give you an illustration of how he does it. For example, because of the, the topic we're, we're discussing, he'll mix up things like justification and sanctification. Now, are we justified for justification, meaning that we're declared righteous before God so that we're not his enemies anymore, we become his friends? When we're declared righteous and justified, is there anything we have to do to be declared justified? Yes or no? As far as, is there any works that we can do? And the answer is... No, we have to receive it by faith, but we're not doing it. It's just receiving a gift. But when it comes to sanctification or growing in holiness or growing in our character, freedom in Christ, or any of those kinds of things, becoming more righteous like that in practice, right living, is there, is there anything we have to do, yes or no? And the answer is yes. But there are many Christians who've got that all mixed up. They think that because they've been justified by faith, that the moment they were justified by faith, God does it. He does it freely, and all they have to do is kind of sit there and glide to heaven. And the Scriptures say things like Paul warned, he said, train yourself to be godly. Work out your salvation with trembling and fear. Make Every effort to add to your faith, goodness, and goodness, knowledge, and knowledge, self-control, self-perseverance. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, we have to be what intentional about it. We have to do. It. We have to do it. Now, can we do it apart from Him? And the answer is, no, absolutely not. But we have a part to play. So then, the devil he deceives Christians, and the result is that the poor is a poor Christian testimony because people don't grow as children of God, and the result is we have a poor testimony uh, in the home, in our marriages, at work, in the church, in the community, and the result is that our, you know, our children, others in the community, neighbors, friends, whatever, remain lost, don't want anything to do with the church or Christ. Is that true? Yeah. And... Um, There's other places, but that's just one example, all right? So how do we buckle up the belt of truth? Allow God to examine your heart for teachability, humility. Read and memorize and study the Bible. Take notes and examine the Scriptures, as many of you are doing. And read Christian books on social issues, apologetics in the church and such. We have to be intentional about this. Here's the second one. We have to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Why? Because... He is attack. the devil is, wants to attack our testimony. And I actually started alluding to that already in this, uh, this last uh, point. But there are two kinds of righteousness that the Bible talks about. And we see the two spaced, uh, put together. Paul talks about it, but so does the writer to the Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, 10 and 14, he said, and by that will we have been what? We have been made holy we have been made holy and then he says through the sacrifice of the body of christ once for all and because of one sacrifice he is made perfect for the though, forever those who are being made holy have been made holy and being made holy which one is it the answer is both and exactly because you have Im- the imputed righteousness of God on the one hand. And by imputed righteousness, all we mean by this, and we were actually singing a little bit about this. I was thinking about that as we were singing. Uh, but Christ, or we t- uh, uh, God takes our sins and places them um, on Jesus on the cross, and he dies for all our sins. Is that true? Yes or no? But that's not all. He lived our righteousness and obedience when he walked this earth, and he takes that perfect righteousness and he places it on us. Now, is that a good deal? Oh, that's a great deal. That's one kind of righteousness, and you get that when you get saved, exactly. But there's a second kind of uh, righteousness or holiness, same thing. It's a kind of, (laughs) because I wanted to have two eyes there. So imputed righteousness, imparted uh, uh, righteousness, and this is what God does in me after salvation, and it's a process in which we are growing in righteousness, and um, right living, character, fruit of the spirit, godliness, and holiness. Now, uh, I want to give you an example of that, Job chapter 1. Uh, and uh, Job comes standing before God, and, and God says, have you noticed my, my son Job? He's blameless, he's upright. That's another word for righteous. Doesn't mean he's perfect, but he, he's, living, he, he's, he's living rightly. And Satan says, yeah, just. You, that's because you put a hedge around him. Take the hedge away, let me attack him, and I'll show you, he'll curse you. Those are the exact words he uses. He'll curse you. God says, okay, go ahead. I'll take my hedge uh, away. Satan attacks him. Seven of his kids are killed. All his wealth is, is, is gone, his herds, animals. And uh, look at the response of Job. Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in what? In what? Worship. And said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave... And the Lord has taken away, may the name of the Lord be Praise. praised. We were saying, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh, That's what he was saying. After all of that tragedy, he didn't curse God, did he? Well, the devil goes back to God and says, well, skin for skin, let me touch his body, and then he'll curse you. God says, fine, you can touch his body, but you can't take his life. So he goes back and he ends up with, uh, Job ends up with all kinds of sores on his body, like boils or whatever, and ta- bits of pottery, and he's scraping. It's just an ugly scene. At this point, Job's wife does exactly what the devil wanted. She says to Job, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. And he said, You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we uh, accept good from God, and not trouble? And in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Is that amazing? Now, do you know why? Because he had the breastplate of righteousness on. You say, what does that mean? We're not talking about the righteousness that you get when you say it. We're talking about a practical righteousness. Now, remember what we said several weekends ago. We were talking about the flesh. If you want to intentionally grow in your character, then what, let's say you're praying for patience or whatever it is, now God then sets up a test for you. Not to get you to trip up, but so you can practice it so that you, that you uh, put in a new pattern of living. Remember we said that? By doing it over and over and over, you repattern the way you think, act, and react. And then when the test comes, he helps you because immediately he reminds you, as soon as he brings the test, he says, remember, we're doing a test so that you you do this right. And then you go, oh yeah, that's right. And you count to 10, and he gives you desire and ability, and after 10, you make the right choice, and you have one righteous act. Remember that we said that? The next time, maybe it takes nine seconds, and eight, seven, five, and finally, it's, you know, by the time you're getting, it only takes... Three to four, one to two seconds, it's turning into a habit, but you're still conscious about it. At some point, it moves into the subconscious, and at that point, you have repatterned your life, your, your way of thinking, acting, and reacting in that one area, so that it has become a, a new character trait that you have acquired from Jesus in your life. And so, then when the devil comes with his temp, fiery, fiery uh, flaming arrows, and attacks you in that area, area, you have your breastplate of righteousness on, you will just simply respond correctly. That's what that is. That's, what, that's why he was able to do that. Because he had such an established pattern there for so long that he could that when the fiery arrows came, it was no problem. He responded correctly. Do you see now why it's so important to intentionally grow our, in our character? Do you see it? That's what Paul's getting at here. Okay, we got to keep moving. Um, and uh, otherwise, uh, we get a, he gets a foothold into our life. And, of course, then he guilt, uh, guilts us and shames us and everything, and then we want to quit in the ministry or uh, quit from serving the Lord because we feel so guilty and shameful. And so when we grow in it, then we don't. And when he gets a foothold into our lives, then he gets a foothold in our marriages because it affects our marriages, affects our families, affects everybody else, and then they don't want to come to Christ, and that's why it's important. So how do we put on the breastplate of righteousness? Well, go back to the document that we have there and flip it to the front side. And on the second part, you see how to put off and how to put on. And you simply do that, okay? Pray for a new pattern, renew your mind, study. It's that same thing. That's the overlap between the two that I wanted you to see. Okay. Here's the third piece. Not only does he... Want to attack in those areas. He wants to attack our emotions. Isn't it true that when you wake up in the morning, if you bounce out of bed, of course, after 60, you don't bounce out of bed, you roll out of bed or fall out of bed. But isn't it true when your emotions are strong, you're full of joy and you've got lots of hope in the morning, you want to get up and take on the world? Is that true? Yeah. But when you get up and you're discouraged and you're depressed and everything else, do you want to take on the world? And the answer is, no, you don't. (laughs) That's why, see, emotions are good. They shouldn't lead our lives, but they're good for fuel or motivation to keep us going in the fight. Is that true? Strong emotions are very good for that. So the enemy knows that, so he attacks your emotions hoping that it will cripple you. And so he'll attack. And uh, he's not talking here about evangelism and peace with God. He's talking to believers here. And I don't have time to develop that. That you'll just have to trust me on this one. He's talking about another kind of peace here when he talks about the uh, readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. It's peace that comes. Peace is one of the side benefits of the gospel. There are many benefits to the gospel. And the peace that Paul is talking here about is not peace with God. That we got when we were justified, Romans 5, 1 says. says. But here he's talking about something else. He says, do not be anxious about anything but in prayer and petition with what? That's, That's a key, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, not peace with God, that you already have at salvation, but the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. Look at, there it is, guards. See? It's a a defensive mechanism. Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, all right? So, uh, see what it does there, and let's illustrate it. Paul was in prison uh, when he wrote this. When he wrote to the Philippians, he. He was in a prison in Rome when he wrote this. Isn't that amazing? On another occasion earlier, he was in prison a lot. Uh, He was in Philippi, exactly to where he was writing, and he was in prison there with Silas. And at midnight, what were they doing? They were praying and singing. And there was a violent earthquake and it broke open the doors, loosened their chains, and they could have all escaped. And the jailer, knowing that he'd be held accountable, it was a capital offence, he was about to fall on his sword, commit suicide, and the, Paul cries out and he says, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer can't believe it. Like, why wouldn't you be running for your lives? And, but there was such peace. And uh, he said no, and he tells him about Christ, and the jailer and his house are saved. Isn't that a great story? When peace comes into our life, everything changes, that emotion. But we're not anxious. We're not scurrying around. We're not uh, uh, controlling people and everything, because that's why the devil inflames our anxieties and worries and fears to provoke us to quit and to incite us to control situations and people and to preoccupy us with other things. And so, uh, how do we put on, how do we put on the gospel of peace? Well, one thing is to get the assurance of our salvation. You can write that down. Thank him for past blessings and care of you. As you do, you begin to realize what he's done in the past. It gives you confidence for what he's going to do in your present and listen for his redemptive purposes in your trials. Maybe he'll tell you something that he's going to do for you, or why he's doing it, and explains it. doesn't always tell you right in the moment. And you can sing to him. That's what they were doing. Singing is very important. And as I was penning this, a, a song came to my heart. When peace like a river, join me, river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast, God me to say, "It is well, it is well with my soul." And you know what Paul says? He says, "Be filled with the Spirit, singing and making melody in your hearts." That's one of the ways you get filled with the spirit. And suddenly he comes in and he brings peace. It's one of the ways. All right, let's go to the next one. This is just skimming. Shield of faith. The devil wants to attack your calling. He wants you to, he wants you to stop. He's not talking, uh, Paul isn't referring here to saving faith. He's talking here about walking by faith. You know, the kind of faith by faith, Noah built an ark. You know, that kind of faith, Hebrews chapter 11. God has dreams and plans for each one of us which he has prepared in advance for us to do, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, and let me say this. If you can do what you're doing for God in your own strength and your own talents and your own abilities, you are probably not fulfilling God's plans for you. Did you know that? Because... What brings Him glory is not what we can do. What brings Him glory is what we do when everybody can tell that only He could be doing it through us. Is that true? Our trust in Him, our full dependence on Him, that brings tremendous glory to Him. Let's give you an example out of... Abraham what faith really is out of chapter 4. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was what? Strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. At age 86... Abraham had a son, Ishmael, through Hagar. And at age 99, God came to him and said, next year at this time, you're going to have a son. He made a covenant with him. You're going to have a son, a son of a covenant. His name is, and you're going to name him Isaac. But this son, and out of that, you're going to have a family of nations. But this son will be born through Sarah, which was ridiculous because Sarah hadn't been able to conceive at all. Not only that, that's, this is Genesis 17. When you get to Genesis 18, 11, it says, uh, it says something very interesting. It says, uh, whoa, can I find it here? Oh, it says that the way of women had ceased with her. That's a euphemism. Her cycles had stopped. So it was impossible to have children. And it says in Romans chapter 4 that he believed. Now, if you, uh, this is what I want you to understand about faith. Faith is not just about mental assent. And faith is not feeling. Faith is action. And I want to show you action here. Because part of the covenant in believing what God had promised was, if you believe that Abraham, and that you're going to have a son like that, and that that's how you're going to become the father of many nations, not through Ishmael, then I want you and all your household of males to be circumcised. Whoa. Whoa. Think about this now. He had a huge household. Remember, it was 250 men that went and rescued Lot at one time. That was men. How about all the boys and stuff? And Abraham is 99. 99. And he's going to be circumcised. Ishmael's 13. Can you imagine the meeting when he brings all the men together? Grown, mature men? God has promised that I'm... And he changes his name from Abram to Abraham, meaning father of multitudes. And he, and he says, God has promised he's going to make me a father of multitudes of many nations. But it's going to come through Sarah. I know sarahs you know, she can't have babies and stuff. But that's who it's coming through. And here's my belief in this covenant we all have to be circumcised. And he's got to tell 250 grown men that they've got to do that. That is stepping out by faith. Would you agree? That took faith. That would have been an uncomfortable meeting to have. But he did, he really did. And uh, it brought much glory to God, and right on time, Sarah had a son the next year. Because faith isn't a feeling, it is an action. Faith keeps walking, going, persevering, praying, and patiently waiting. Uh, So right at the point of a fiery temptation to quit, do you know how you pick up the shield of faith? This is how you do it, by taking one more step. That's how you do it. And then he fires another one and he wants to put you out of commission and stop your calling and you take another step. And you take another step and you take another and you persevere and you walk and you take another step. You don't try to walk the next year. You walk today. You, you take one more step today. That's how you do. That's walking by faith. How do you take up the uh, shield of faith? Review your call. And by the way, then you'll wear the devil down instead of him wearing you down. Eventually, he's tired of fighting you and he goes to some your brother. And just say, I'm, go, go, go after Stephan or something. <laughs> how to take up the shield of faith? Review your call. Listen to God's voice for confirmation, encouragement, and ask people for a specific next step and move here let's go to the next one the fifth one helmet of salvation he wants to this the devil wants to attack our influence so he wants us to lose hope because hope is infectious would you agree with that if if, if a dad in his family is not hopeful the entire family is not hopeful if uh, If in the cell, if in your cell ministry, if you're in your cell and the cell leader is not hopeful with that group, the entire, it's infectious, the entire group is not hopeful. If a pastor has lost hope, the people will have no hope. Is that true? That's how the devil does it. He he wants to attack our hope because it influences others and takes them out of the, uh, takes them out of the fight. And uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.8, Paul tells us that that's what the helmet of salvation is. It's hope. It is needed to guard against his goal to get not only us but others to quit. Let me give you an example out of Acts chapter 27. Uh, Paul was a prisoner on a ship that was sailing from Fair Havens to Phoenix. And uh, on his way to Rome where he was going to stand before Caesar in, uh, uh, in a trial, before Caesar, and a violent northeastern storm just came up, whipped up very, very quickly, and for many days, their their ship was being battered, they threw all their, uh, you know, most of the tackle and lots of possessions overboard just to try to stay afloat, and after many days, it says that they gave up hope. They thought they were going to die. That's Acts 27, verse 20. And after a long time without food, Paul stood up and urged them to eat and not give up because an angel, he said, had stood by him the the previous night and said, the boat will be lost, the ship will be lost, but all of you are going to make it safely. And uh, then he, and uh, then in verse 36, it says, so he wanted them to eat. It says, they were all what? encouraged and they ate some food. That food was going to be important because they hadn't eaten for 14 days straight it says here. Do you think that in a violent storm like that and the boat gets battered because they ran up on a on a shoal and the ship was broken to smithereens and they were taught, they were all thrown into these huge waves and stuff and if you've ever tried to paddle or swim in very massive waves, you'll know you tire very, very quickly, and you're not going to make it. Is that true? And uh, if they hadn't eaten food, they wouldn't have had the energy to make it, but because one man had hope, hope in God, he had the helmet of salvation on, it influenced and affected 276 souls on board, and they all made it safely to shore. Isn't that amazing? You and I have to have the helmet of salvation hope on, or those depending on us will lose hope and won't make it in the Christian life. Here's a last, and how do you put it on? Experience God's love in the present, because that gives us hope in the future, because Paul said in Romans 5.5, he said, hope does not disappoint us Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit he has given us. What he's saying is, when you experience his love now, you know, in your abiding in Christ, when you're experiencing him loving you and lavishing on you, it gives you hope for the future, even amidst circumstances. Then, secondly, meditate and memorize on what God has promised in the future you know, some of those wonderful passages about the new heaven and new earth and uh, brothers don't grieve like the rest of men and all of that. And then listen for a word from him in your present situation. Again, I'm just uh, just saying, put it down. You can look at this all more. You can examine the scriptures more carefully later. Let's get to the last one, the final one, sword of the Spirit. He wants to attack our focus. Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, um or a word from God, and the word there is rema. There's logos, there's two kinds of word, uh, logos and rhema, and here he's talking about the rhema. The logos is the written word of God, and the rhema is the spoken word of God, very simply put. And let me illustrate, and, and by the way, uh, a sword is not just an offensive mess, uh, uh, weapon, it's also used for defense and parrying and fending off blows from the other, from an enemy's sword, isn't that true? And Jesus used it that way, and we see it in Matthew 4 4, for example, because it says uh, after his baptism, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days, forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live by Man does not live by what? but by every word that comes from the mouth of god very important passage he's quoting deuteronomy there of course does it say anywhere in the old testament that you could not turn stones into bread and eat that is there a law like that no so he wasn't referring to the written law HE WAS REFERRING TO A SPOKEN WORD FROM GOD AND WE we SEE IT, IT'S RIGHT THERE IN THE CONTEXT. IT SAYS, JESUS WAS LED BY THE SPIRIT, SPIRIT OF GOD, INTO THE WILDERNESS TO BE TEMPTED SO HE COULD LIVE OUR RIGHTEOUSNESS FOR US, REMEMBER? AND uh, uh, SO HE WAS, THAT WAS GOD'S WILL FOR HIM. EVIDENTLY, ONE OF THE TEMPTATIONS GOD THE FATHER WANTED HIM TO EXPERIENCE BECAUSE HE WAS TEMPTED IN ALL WAYS LIKE WE ARE, YET WITHOUT WHAT? sin, yet without sin. And one of the tests was, I I want you to fast for 40 days and 40 nights because then he's at his weakest in the flesh. And now he's going to be tempted by the tempter. So now the tempter comes to him and says, why don't you, you know, you're the son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? You can do miracles and you could eat it. And he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Not only the words that are for all people for all time but the words that god gives for us specifically in, and individually because here's what the devil's going to do the devil knows what your calling is and even if you go with your calling he is going to attack your focus and he he may tempt you to uh, just you know spend more time over here that'll please people and stuff and he just, if he can't get you to, out of your calling, then he's going to try to just shift you out of your calling and keep you busy and doing all kinds of things. That's why it says one morning, Mark chapter 1, Jesus, was, uh, Jesus went out early to pray and his disciples went uh, looking for him. They were going, to, and they said, everyone's looking for you. And he said, cancel all my assignments. We're going to the next town because that's why I've come. The devil wants to shift our focus, and he attacks that so that we don't accomplish what God wants us to do. So how do we pick up the sword of the Spirit? Spend time in God's presence finding out what he wants you to do. Confirm it in listening prayer with others, like your spouse, a friend, yourself. Stick with it when temptation comes. Let me wrap it up. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples, discipleship. How do we bear much fruit? By abiding in Christ, growing in freedom and character, and standing our ground against the devil. And when we do that, we advance the kingdom of God, bring glory to God. And that's what we'll be rewarded for in eternity. Take these sheets in your time alone with God. And this summer, go through and say, which area do I need to grow in my discipleship with Christ? Because we're charged to be intentional about it. And then grow in that area this summer would be my challenge to you. Lord, thank you that we get to be called your children and your disciples. Happy Father's Day.